Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you will bless us as we look at your word. Open our minds and our hearts that you will truly show us more about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I wonder what you've enjoyed about Christmas. Good food and drink, being with friends and family, and now it's all over, or is it? Surely the essence of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is our focus as we look at John chapter 1, and particularly verse 14 this morning, one of the most important verses in the Bible. We're going to, as we look at Jesus, God's incarnation in Jesus, we will see a glorious revelation, a gracious privilege, and an amazing hope. First, a glorious revelation. As Christians, we've had great joy in celebrating the fact that 2010 years ago, 2010 years ago, God broke into human history and revealed himself in a way we could see and touch and understand by becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. We have just celebrated God's glorious revelation of himself in Jesus. And John has put it in a nutshell here in verse 14 when he says, The Word, God, became flesh, Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. God, who has existed before all time, at that specific point in time, became flesh. This assertion stunned the Greek mind. The Word did not just appear human, he became human. God didn't just borrow a body, he actually became flesh. And by using this rather crude word, flesh, John shows us the reality of Jesus' manhood. The word God was Jesus. The word became flesh. God transitioned from what he was and is and revealed himself to mankind in the flesh. When I try and stop and imagine this, it really just blows my mind away. How could God, the creator of the universe, actually make himself like us, human, with flesh and blood, bones, eyes, feet and toes? Surely this was the revelation of God, the incarnation. Wow. It's it's almost it's impossible almost for us to grasp it, don't you think so? We all know the story of the little boy. After the um, after his mother reads him a bedtime story and says a little prayer with him, kisses him and puts out the light. Mummy, don't put out the light. I don't like the dark. He says, "It's all right." His mother says, "I'm downstairs and God is with you." Ten minutes later, the little boy calls out for his mother and she goes up to see what's the matter. Mummy, mummy, he says, stifling a sob. I'm afraid I don't like the dark. 
It's all right, she says, taking him in her arms. God is with you. He truly is. But I can't see God, the little boy replies. I need God with flesh on. So God became flesh. This stunning notion for the Greek mind, for they believed in a clear division between the divine spirit and the mundane world. And God's second, uh, sorry, and, and John's second phrase in verse 14 was equally stunning for the Jews. For John says, the word made his dwelling among us and revealed his glory. That's rather a strange phrase to us. He made his dwelling among us. Does it mean he made his home among us? No, it doesn't really. Because God's, I don't think Jesus was really completely at home in the world. But it spoke to John's Jewish readers of the tabernacle or of the tent of meeting in which God dwelt at the time of Moses. A tent is a temporary dwelling. So God's revelation of himself in the flesh was temporary. However, a significant fact for the children of Israel was that the tent of meeting was where God was and where there was a tangible, almost being able to touch, glory of God. In the same way, John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is glory? We may speak of a glorious day like today, crisp and sunny, or a glorious sunset and run for our cameras. But what is it that makes it so special? It's the recognition of a divine presence. And here John says, we, eyewitnesses, we have seen his glory. John and the other disciples who knew Jesus, who lived at the same time as him, witnessed to the fact that in Jesus they saw the glory of God. We have seen his glory. They saw the divine presence in Jesus. Oh, I wish I'd been there. In his ministry, Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples by the miracles he performed. But Jesus' glory was not merely a display of power, but it showed them that he was God. While Jesus' signs and miracles showed his glory, the irony is that it's in his suffering and humiliation on the cross that the mysterious depths of God's glory is to be found. Clearly, one witness was the Roman centurion who, having watched Jesus die on the cross, said of him, surely he was the son of God. The centurion had seen many men die, but none like this man. To return to the tabernacle or the tent of meeting just for a moment, we read in Exodus that when the tent of meeting was first set up, the glory of Jehovah so filled the tabernacle that Moses was not able to enter in. And the people then spoke of the Shekinah glory of God, God dwelling <clears throat> among his people. 
But now, John says, one greater than Moses is here. God tabernacled in Jesus, just as he had dwelt with them in the tabernacle in the desert. But whereas the glory of God had once been restricted in the tabernacle, it was now made fully visible in Jesus Christ. People saw God's glory in the physical Jesus of Nazareth. His, his glory was not an outward splendor, like a king or a queen going to their coronation <clears throat> or receiving John and Valtraud for their um, awards, their MBEs. No, his splendor was seen in the humble way he lived for men and women and suffered for them. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, the one and only, totally unique, fully God and fully man, fully God who in his incarnation reveals himself to the world, and those who saw him in the flesh saw the glory of God in him. I expect some of you have sometimes seen a child and you think, there's something special about that child, or even a person. There's something about them. Well, just imagine that ten times, a hundred times greater, and we may have a glimpse of what the disciples and the people in Jesus' time saw of God in Jesus. Many also saw that he was full of grace and truth. What's grace? It's that which causes joy. In other words, it's when someone gives you something you don't deserve. It's like God sending Jesus to be our saviour. God didn't have to provide a way for us to come back to him. But as the prophet Jonah discovered, God is a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Grace was revealed when God came and worked in the world, despite the hostility and the rejection of those around him. And in John's Gospel, grace emerges as love. Jesus' love is portrayed particularly by his actions, by the things he does. His actions were full of grace. But John also say, says that Jesus was full of truth, Grace and truth. In God, grace and truth are bound together. God's grace in Jesus is shown by his loving actions. God's truth in Jesus is revealed by the truth of his words. Word and action bound together. So here, in the prologue to his gospel, John, Jesus' closest disciple, says into the darkness of the world, the light of God came. What is truth? Simply, you might say, it's the opposite of falsehood, but it's more than that. It's the disclosure, it's the disclosure that comes from God alone. Truth is not just what is right, but what is divinely right. In his ministry, Jesus will rightly describe himself as the truth. 
In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as we see in verse 18, Jesus comes from the heart of the Father. He has seen God the Father, whereas no one else has. So in the incarnation, God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He was full of divine glory and full of grace and truth. What a glorious revelation. And that's by far my longest point. The second point, a gracious privilege. It always amazes me that faced with such wholesome goodness, many did not recognize Jesus as God in the flesh. And despite his words and miracles, despite turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish, despite healing sickness, paralysis and blindness, and even reversing death in Jairus' daughter and in Lazarus, many people in the first century did not accept Jesus And many people today cannot see that Jesus is God incarnate. Why is it? Has the darkness in our world closed minds to the true light? The true light that gives light to everyone. Yes, maybe. Or is it that we're just too busy to stop and consider Jesus? Or is it that We want to hold on to our independence, to work out our own religion. Isn't that just a modern version of the deadly sin of pride, saying, I know best. I'll work it out. I'll do what I want to do. Sometimes I think God must want to just knock our heads together. I really do. Surely he must despair of us and say, What more can I do to show them that I love them? In Jesus, I became flesh for them so that they could see me, listen to me, touch me, speak to me. Through Jesus, I have revealed myself to them. I have made myself known to them and still they don't believe in me. Yet, for those who have ears to see, sorry, no, that would be very strange, (laughs) who have eyes to see and ears to, to hear and minds open to God, there is an amazing hope. So an amazing hope. Look back to verse 13. To all who received him. No, verse 12. To all who received him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow, another wow factor. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And through believing in Jesus, God in the flesh, God gives us the right to become children of God, to be born again, not physically, but of God, and to be adopted into his family and his children with the full rights of inheritance. I'm sure a number of you 
had a Christmas card from Martin and Galit Young with their four girls dressed as wise men. And it's just so delightful to see their smiling faces and to know that they have been so happily adopted. They are now much loved and secure as Martin and Galit's children. Similarly, and in contrast to those who do not believe, God gives those who do believe in Jesus the right to become children of God, to be adopted into his family. And on us who do believe, he has lavished. I've I've mentioned this before. For me, lavish means like really thick butter on toast. Generosity, more than you need. He has lavished grace upon grace one undeserved blessing on top of another, which come from God's full store, which will never become empty. What joy and delight we can know by just trusting Jesus. So what's our response to this? Here we are at the beginning of a new year, a new decade. There were great celebrations in London and Edinburgh as we left 2009 behind. What will 2010 bring, I wonder? How are we going to live through the unknown months ahead? There may be times of hope or despair, of plenty or of poverty. And we may wonder whether 2010 will be plain sailing or a roller coaster. One thing I'm sure of is that we're going to need help outside of ourselves. First, we're going to need one another, the church. And we're going to need God's presence with us. Even the humanist speaker on the Thought for the Day on New Year's Day spoke of moving forward in faith and hope. And so we do. But to trust solely in the goodness of humanity and not in God, is like a lame man putting his weight on a broken stick. Rather, our faith needs to be refocused on the goodness of our creator God, on the one who was made flesh, Jesus, who died and rose again so that we might live in relationship with him each day and enjoy the fullness of life and hope and joy that he alone brings. Remember, Jesus is the only one who shows us the glory of God. He is the only one who provides us with an open door into the presence of God. And he is the only one who can bring about transformation that the world needs. He is our only hope. So the three main points. We have a glorious revelation. God has made himself known to us in Jesus. What a gracious privilege it is to have the right to become children of God and to be adopted into his family. And what an amazing hope we have that God who has come into the world and made himself known in Jesus promises to remain with us always by his indwelling Holy Spirit 
He promises to be with us today, through this year ahead, and until he comes again, when we too will have the joy of seeing him in all his glory, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God, for your great goodness in sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came in flesh to live among us. Holy Spirit, we pray, come and dwell in us. Strengthen and enfold us in your love. And as we enter into this new year, give us that sure and certain hope that you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with us and that our security is in you. Amen.